set apart nature and his purity. Now, the ancient Hebrews were kind of odd to call God holy. All the nations around them had this word, but they referred it only to really the things that were used to worship God. So utensils, bowls, basins, maybe locations, even people groups. And we see this in Israel too. We have a whole tribe set aside to worship God. God in creation even sets a whole day aside just to worship him, right? Sabbath. And yet they call God holy. What could God possibly be set apart from? Well, the answer, of course, is creation itself. God is set apart from creation itself. We often like to think God is a little bit like us, I think. Maybe we slip into this a little bit, um, unconsciously or consciously, where we might think like an ant is to a human, so we are like God, maybe. That's how great he is. But I would actually say, and I think the holiness of God communicates that no, there is a breach between creation and creator. There's a chasm, there's a gap. C.S. Lewis says it's like a painting and a painter. And if anything, we are a little bit like God and only to a certain extent, but, but God is not necessarily like us. God is this force, this being that has always been. He has no beginning. He has no end. He needs nothing. Completely self-sufficient. God is the one who defines all reality. We do not get to define God. God reveals who he is to us, mercifully, graciously. Pharaoh found this out the hard way, didn't he? When Moses was sent to go free the Israelites from Egypt, Moses anticipated Pharaoh's question, who, what God are you coming in? What, what's the name of your God? And God, rightly so, anticipating that Pharaoh, in his mindset of gods, would have thought, well, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the harvest, which God? And so what does God tell Moses to say to Pharaoh? Say that I am who I am has sent you. I am who I am. Pharaoh, you do not liken a sun to me. You do not liken the moon to me. You do not liken a harvest to me. I define everything. I define all things. I am who I am, and I am here to set my people free. And yet, just a couple lines down, just a couple lines down, he gives a different name to his very own people, doesn't he? The very first time in Scripture we hear the name of God that the Hebrews past and the Jews present will not even utter because it is such a holy name. And in English, it is spelled capital L-O-R-D. When you see that in your scriptures, this is the name that God revealed to his own people. A name that, again, is not uttered then or now by any Jewish or Hebrew person. Indeed, they think you cannot even utter it. You're not able to utter it. You're not physically possible. And it's true. I mean, angels' names are too wonderful for us. Our language quickly runs out. We reach the end of our rope when we're trying to describe or understand God, 
in any way. He's wholly other. It is this being that reveals himself to us graciously. And we know him because he has revealed himself. So holiness means that God is set apart. Again, the second thing, holiness means that God is pure, right in his nature. Being begets behavior, and God is good, right, pure, and, and, and just. And this is a very good thing, because that ominous being that's set apart from creation, you know, like, whoa, this guy's all-powerful, but he's good. He's just. He's right. And so he is righteous. He acts justly all the time. And this is seen in scriptures as a consuming fire. This is going back to Moses, the the burning bush. Uh, We see the Holy Spirit often depicted as um, an all-consuming fire, all-consuming flame. And fire has a lot of meanings then and now, but but for them especially, I want to draw on two things. It It meant it gave light. They would walk in darkness by a torch to see the way. They would read from a flame. And likewise, God doesn't just keep his purity, his holiness, his justice to himself. He shares it. He enlightens his people, and he does this through his scriptures, through the law of Moses and the Old Testament, the, the prophets, and, of course, through Jesus Christ, as we'll talk about a little bit more. And so God is a God who shares his holiness by by showing us how to live. And the other thing that fire is, is purification, right? Fire is used to burn away all impurities with metals to only have the good stuff afterward. Um, And God is an all-consuming fire. God does burn away anything that is evil or sinful Uh, We heard in Moses, we heard from Deuteronomy today, don't be like the Israelites that worship Baal and God destroyed them. Instead, walk in the word that God gave you and you will live, right? God is allergic, as one author says, to sin and evil and his consuming fire is his sneeze. And so... The holiness of God is his set-apartness and his purity, his justice, his goodness. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little bit like Boromir right now um, from Lord of the Rings. Uh, All right. Had the meme. It's not working. Um, If you know the meme, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, one does not simply ascend the holy hill of the Lord, right? Because what, how, how could we possibly ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Well, David answers this in Psalm 15. He says, he follows this question with, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And then if you paid attention to the psalm, this is a very general statement. Essentially, be blameless, be holy. And then the following verses He got more specific using contrast to draw out this holiness. 
you don't do this, you do this. And behind all of this, of course, is God's laws, his commandments that he's just sort of reciting. And it, it, it builds, it, it drives the point home that, of course, we must be holy to ascend the holy hill, blameless, as he says. Free from sin and evil, allergic to it even, as he is. Yet, of course, friends, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. We have all inherited their sinfulness, and we all, as Paul says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all disobeyed his law, his word, choosing to walk in darkness instead of light. I was talking to a missionary friend of mine who was a missionary in Pakistan for 30 plus years. He and his wife are doing Bible translation. And in order to make sure their translation was a good one, they invited a Muslim over and to read the scriptures. And of course, this Muslim man has Sharia law on the back of his head, right? The law that Muhammad gave to the people to follow. And so this guy is reading this translated scripture and he's like, this, this is a good law. You know, he's reading through Moses. He's like, this is, this is something else. This is pretty fantastic. And the missionary said, you think that's good? Well, look at this. And he hands him the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus' remix of Moses' law that he gave. And he's like, this, I thought that was good. This is amazing. This is remarkable. Until he got to one line. He read, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Closed the book, handed it back, and said, impossible. Impossible. And it's true, impossible. We've all had those impossible moments. We've all been there, right? We all truly long to, to be with God. I mean, when you're with God, you have a peace that abides. You have a protector that defends. You have a hope that never ends. You have a life eternal. You have joy everlasting. You are in the presence of this creator somehow right? You are filled with that goodness that he truly is. And yet, we hit this impossible thing. And for all of us, it might be something different today. All of us, friends, have fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah restates David's question in the 33rd chapter of his book. He says, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Answer, he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the game of the oppressors. And he goes on just like David did, essentially saying those who are righteous, those who are holy, those who are good. So to dwell with God, friends, we must be holy. And yet our souls are factories of sinfulness. And this is what Jesus in our gospel reading addresses, does he not? He cuts to the heart of the matter. He cuts right to the bone and marrow of the matter, doesn't he? 
like an expert surgeon. He calls out these Pharisees, these scribes who had their traditions, thinking that by their traditions they might be holy, be undefiled, be clean. And Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says, one of my pages didn't print. <laughs> Jesus says, There is nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him, but these things that come out of a person are what defile him. Later on, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, pride, envy, evil, Foolishness, all of these things come from within and they, they defile a person. And so he's cutting right to the heart of the matter. My little sermon illustration with the sun was kind of cute and maybe inspired you to pay attention, but it wasn't totally accurate, I have to confess. It wasn't totally accurate. You see, because in that illustration, man is going to the sun. But friends, the truth of the situation with us is that God knows we could never ascend his holy hill. And so the sun comes to us. The S-O-N, Son of God, descends His holy hill and comes into the womb of the Virgin Mary. Yes, God's remarkable plan is that He would step over this breach of Creator and creation, become a zygote in a womb of a woman. What? in order to redeem mankind. And this is just the same old story of the Old Testament. You could rename the whole Old Testament as the gracious descent of a holy God. We see this when God calls Abraham first with promises, then covenanting himself, binding himself to this man, Abraham, that through your seed, shall come salvation for the whole world. And this flows from Abraham down through his generations. Isaac, Jacob, renamed Israel, Jacob's 12 sons, 12 tribes, enslaved in Egypt, ultimately. Then God visits them again, right? And he comes even closer on Mount Sinai when, when he is this flaming, consuming fire wrapped in thick darkness and the Hebrews are like, Moses, you go up. We don't want to even be near this. You know, they're like, whoa. And, and he, is, he is speaking to Moses face to face. And he reveals his name yet even more. The compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And then he says, I'm going to come even closer. I'm going to come into your midst. Build a tabernacle. Here are some laws that you must abide by because I'm a holy God, you must be holy, but I'm going to even come into your midst. And so he tabernacles with them. Ultimately, Solomon, 
builds a temple and he comes and dwells in this temple and the glory is awe-inspiring. This is Jesus coming to earth is just a continuation of this amazing theme that God is the one who comes close to us. And it's this Jesus who grows. And while he walks this earth, he remains holy. He remains set apart from sin. Right? He remains pure. He remains just. And he actually has a lot of strong words for those who are not, as we just saw in the Gospels. And yet he walks not up a holy hill, even though he was holy, did he? Instead, of course, he walked up the hill of Calvary. And he was crucified by the Romans for crimes and sins that he did not commit, for shame that he did not have to bear. And so the Son of God becomes the scourge of God that us sinners might be saved. That we might be holy. That we might dwell with God. That forgiveness can be offered to all people. And at his resurrection, he comes back to life by the power of God and now offers new life to all who would believe in him. Getting at the heart of the issue, he offers a new heart. Getting at the heart of the issue, he offers a soul and a spirit transformed by the Holy Ghost, one that will actually follow this light, this word, with joy. And friends, in the name of Jesus, I was talking to a Jewish woman this week, in the name of Jesus, we can even say God's name. We are bold to pray, as we'll say earlier, later. We are bold to even talk to him, and we can even say his name in Christ. I quote Moses, what great nation is there that has a God so near as the Lord our God is to us? He has come so near, friends, that he is even in our hearts if we believe. To dwell with a holy God, we must be holy in Christ. To dwell with a holy God, we must be holy, and we're only made holy by Christ Jesus. Now, I know this might not have been the question you woke up asking yourself. <laughs> I know this maybe was not the thing that was on the tip of your tongue. Hmm, how might I ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Yes. You know, it's, I know you're probably just thinking, how do I get to church? Right? I got kids. I'm, where, what is going on here? Um, and sometimes I feel the same way. Uh, I remember driving to Wednesday morning Eucharist at 6.30 in the morning where I attended in Danvers, Mass. And I was a preacher and, you know, I, I, I did this service a lot. And, you know, in the dead of winter when it's like below 10, you're waking up at 5 in the morning, you're like working through your outline for your sermon on the way there. You know, one day I was like slipping and falling. It's freezing. I can't see a thing out my window. And I'm just like, why am I doing this? Why am, I, why am I going to this 6.30 morning Eucharist Mass? You know, what, what is this? Why? And in that moment, I had an image of Jesus Christ 
waiting for me in that room. Waiting for me, just sitting there, just waiting for me to come and to meet with him. And friends, I know this might not be the question that you asked this morning, but this is a question that this table asks of us every Sunday. Because Jesus comes even so close as to being right here in communion. Friends, we come every Sunday to meet with Jesus, to meet with the Lord in the Eucharist. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. And as the liturgy will attest, it's only by his broken body and his broken and his spilled blood that we can come close and that we can be so near to the Lord as the Hebrews were, as those who confess Christ all around the world are. I'll end with quoting Isaiah. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell with the high and in, a, in the high and holy place, and also with the one who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Friends, you don't need a three-piece suit to come to this table. You don't need all the money in the world. You don't need to go wash your hands real quick, come back. You don't need to bring anything to the table except a broken and contrite spirit who savors the grace of God. And with thankful, joy-filled hearts, we can commune with him here and every Sunday going forward until he returns again and all is made new. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.